suffering and shame and I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was
Jesus, we 
I'm going to ask that you we just open up a prayer right now. Lord God, we come to you today, and this is one of the my favorite uh, services of the year, because without this Good Friday, God, we have nothing. And, um, and if it's not for Easter Sunday with Good Friday, we have nothing. So, God, we thank you for your suffering, your death, and your resurrection, because it gives us life. It gives us, it gives us the fullness of life. And so, Lord, as we meet here today, may we recognize that it's in the cross of Christ through your suffering, your blood, it's, uh, your, and your, your sacrifice that you gave us, uh, you, you connected us back to the Father. And we see the fullness of the Father's love. So as we're here tonight, God, we give you praise. And we ask that you minister to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we're going to have a series of readings. This is the last time I'm going I'm to talk right now. We're going to have a series of readings and songs. We're going to be rolling right through. So you're welcome to sit down. And if you feel like you want to stand up a song, feel free to do so. This is you and Jesus. You can have a seat right now. Good evening. Our first scripture is Mark 14, 12 to 31. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank all from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all of the others said the same.
next scripture is Mark 14, 32 to 52. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as Jesus was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared with him, with a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind.
scripture is Mark 14, 53 to 65. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days will build another not made with hands. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. I'm going to ask you to stand up for this one as, um, as you're going to be sitting for a while.
Raptured already. Have a seat. <laughs> okay, next scripture. Mark 14, 66 to 72. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. The next scripture is Mark 15, 1 through 15. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they all shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. All right, don't get nervous. That, um, I'm not going to preach so much. I have to drink all this water, but um, I... Uh, I'm just came ready uh, for tonight, as you know, many of you know, for Sunday I had no voice at all, um, got through a sermon and actually got to harmonize on the last song, but um, so it's been coming back, but uh, got this, this cough thing, but it's, it's all, all good. And so we're here uh, to honor God on Good Friday. We have been in a series over the last 10 weeks, um, every, every Sunday we have been on a series on the Apostles' Creed, and if you don't know what that is... Um, the Apostles' Creed is the oldest creed that is in, um, in Christendom. It goes back to about the second century. And, um, and depending upon your, your background, if you had a background in church, many people probably stood and, and said that, um, said it many different ways. Some people, you had the living and the dead. Some people had the quick and the dead. And the quick, um, they're quick because they're alive. And they're a little bit quicker than someone who's dead. Um, and so 
so um, there's also a lot of different things. We even talked a couple weeks ago about some who have, he descended into hell, and we were, some of us, um, Protestants and Methodist upbringing are like, he did what? And then we explain that. And we have, if you missed any of these, I challenge you to go back and look at them because we're not preaching the creed. What we're really doing is is looking at the creed as like the moon reflecting the light of the sun, which and the sun in this case is the scripture. And so that's what we're talking about. So today, um, we've been going through this line by line. We took a break and took out the, um, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and we're putting that off till... Um, Till Pentecost Sunday, um, but it was so so perfectly fitting um, that we're going to ha- talk about tonight uh, the forgiveness of sins. And I want to mention a name to you that you may know or you may not know from 2013. A lady named uh, Justine Sacco. Anybody remember that name? Okay, you probably did then. She was a 30-year-old senior. Uh, director of corporate communications for IAC, which was a leading internet company, media corporation. And she was on her way home to South Africa. And she began to tweet um, a couple hundred people that followed her. She was writing goofy tweets about travel and um, she would, she would write things, she would sarcastically talk about how, how travel was ridiculous and other kinds of things. So right before she took off from New York to go to London, she tweeted, that there was a German man who smelled, and she was saying that he was probably going to be next to her for the next five or six hours before they landed in London, or, or even more. When she landed in London, she said, good to be back in London, the home of cucumber sandwiches and bad teeth. Um, so she was just kind of like giving these sarcastic things. And right before her 11-hour flight took off from London to go to South Africa, she she tweeted that she was headed to Africa and she made a, a, a tweet that now we would be aghast at all. And she said that even so then, and she tweeted um, something in the nature that she was headed to Africa and hoped she did not get AIDS, but then made a joke because she was white, she wouldn't. And, um, and if you don't believe me, you can Google her name and you'll find it. Um, but um, so she turned off, it was days before you had Wi-Fi on, on planes. So she took off and went on this 11-hour flight and then had her phone off. And as soon as she landed, she turned on her phone. And by that time, this tweet had gone viral. Her name and that tweet was the number one trending tweet in the entire world. Um, So the first message she got was from an old high school friend who she hadn't talked to in years who said, I'm sorry all this is happening to you. And she's like, what are, you, what are they talking about? Then her phone just exploded as it got connected. And she gets off the, the plane and the whole world has, has just gone crazy. She doesn't know why. But then what begins to happen as she begins to see what happened, she's fired from her job. The hotels that she had booked would not have her there. All the hotel staff um, threatened to boycott and leave if she was to stay there. Her life was threatened. Extended members of her family, uh, of her family members, members of her family in South Africa, they have been very active in, let me get this right, Nelson Mandela's African National Congress. They have been avid supporters both financially uh, against racism and apartheid now were overwhelmed themselves by backlashes toward them um, from an enraged internet mob. Anybody ever heard of these things? They're all over the place now. Um, It ultimately destroyed Justine's life. Now what she she put down is obviously very extremely idiotic and immature and very foolish. But did that deserve death threats? Um, Did it deserve her having to move into hiding for 
a very extended period of time. And should this have had that effect on her entire family? One of the things that sticks out to me, not only about this case, but about other ones like it, and now it's like every day there's one like it, am I right? Even when it's not like it, it's like it. Um, but one of the things is that our culture, in our culture as a whole, public shaming is rules of the day. Um, it originated, and where does that come from? It comes from the human heart. Um, we love to see others get punished. We, we love to watch them get punished. We love to see people build up so that we can watch them fall. Um, and outrage just kind of rules the day now. And we're looking for something to just be furious at. News outlets, people, blogs, Northeast 21901, right? I mean, all these things around. We're looking to be enraged and frustrated about something and to gear it at someone. Our cancel culture that's become known in this age, we live in a punishment-obsessed world. The world wants people to be punished so that mistakes made in public can very quickly turn and burn somebody's entire life to the ground. It doesn't matter how much you lifted it up. It takes one moment and an angry mob to go ahead and tear you down. Here's a fact that I want to tell you. Mistakes are always going to be made. And here's something else. And there are repercussions for our actions and our mistakes. However, historically, the punishment has often fit the crime, but that day is long gone. Now we desire, we seek out, and we participate in the dismantling of people's lives. And some people just really seem to enjoy it. There's something satisfying to the sinful human heart about these things, yet for the people of God, this should not be. The Apostles' Creed is no accident that the forgiveness of sins is connected to what we were talking about in the last couple of weeks of the holy Catholic church, not Roman Catholic, but the universal church, that's what Catholic means, and the communion of saints. The Apostles' Creed, we had looked at in the early part, it starts with what we call, call a, we believe in a vertical connection. Who is God in this thing? We believe in a triune God that is um, one in three persons, um, that uh, three, this three in one, that there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existing in what we call the Godhead. And that is our, our vertical uh, connection in the creed and in our, our faith. And then we have this horizontal connection, which is looking how it plays off with one another. Another, the one another's in life, and how that mean, what does that mean for our lives? And Sunday we talked about these two things, the, the universal church, the church universal, everybody who's been a Christian and everybody who's ever going to be a Christian, and people, that is kataholos, which means it's the term Catholic. Um, and we're all connected. We all belong to one another. And you remember, I read 50 plus, I think it was 59 one another's I read on Sunday that are in the New Testament. And what we see is that the one another's, this communion of saints, um, it, this, this holy universal church is the means of God's forgiveness made visible in this world. So I'm going to give you two points today for you type A people who need to know stuff right away. Number one, God forgives. Number two, the people of God, the communion of saints, are the means by which the forgiveness of God is passed on and made visible to the world around us. So here we go. I'm going to ask you to stand one more time, and we're going to do the Apostles' Creed. If you aren't a believer, 
Um, you can just stand there and just like whatever. Um, but we're going to go ahead and do this. You ready? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That last part there, you may be seated. That last part is Sunday's message. The resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, so be it. Amen. Because usually at Easter we talk about Jesus raising from the dead. But what we're going to talk about on this Sunday is the fact that because Jesus raised from the dead, you and I are going to fly too. And that's really awesome. Um, so that's what, we're, that's what we're going to talk about on Sunday. There is a popular narrative that goes around. Many people believe that Christians believe that people are just miserable sinners trudging through religious steps in order to try to find some way to please God. Many of us as Christians, we kind of are just like going along and saying, I hope I don't get zapped in this. I hope I don't do what's wrong. And we go through that. And that's what we, we, we try to do. We try to please God. God, we, we, many of us believe that God is constantly frustrated and angry at us. And if we don't get in line, he is surely going to destroy absolutely every one of us. And I'm here to tell you that is not true. The fact is, even in the Old Testament, God is talked about as a God who is gracious, merciful, and forgiving. So if, if you have a Bible with you today, or if not, um, you, can, you can follow along. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 34. It's a very familiar section of Scripture. Anybody heard of a guy named Moses? Anybody heard of the Israelites? Okay, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. I'm going to give you some background on, on Exodus 34. Israel was enslaved in Egypt, and um, they were prisoners. They were beaten. They were treated uh, poorly by the Egyptians. Um, they're crying out to God. God hears them, and God raises up someone to redeem them. His name is Moses. And, and also Aaron, because Moses said, I can't talk. And he said, take your brother Aaron with him. And then we never hear of Aaron talking again, um, which is really kind of cool. But Moses, um, through, God's, through the power of God, God uses Moses and does miraculous signs and wonders to the point that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And then he says, let him go. And then he's hardened again. And then they, they do all these different plagues. So so eventually, Pharaoh says, go. But then he has a change of heart. So when Moses is leading them out, they come to the Red Sea. And they're in an area of the Red Sea. And God parts the Red Sea, and they go across on dry land. And the, um, the Egyptians come in after them, and God causes the waters to collapse on them. And then you see uh, Yul Brynner standing on the side of, uh, if those of you who watch that, or... Uh, Go with it. All right. It'll, it'll be on soon. It'll be on soon. Um, the Ten Commandments. So they get across the sea. And they've seen these miracles. They've seen God do these really, really miraculous things. They were sitting there between the Egyptians and the sea. And God crossed it. And they didn't walk on mud. They were on dry land. And they saw the Egyptians going to sea. They made a song. Oh, he's through the Egyptian horses and riders in the sea. And they're really happy. But just a couple weeks later... They forget all that. And what happens is Moses, they go to a place, Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. There's some 
difference of opinion about how long he was up there. We're going to say a couple weeks, maybe about two, two weeks or so. Moses is up there. Aaron went up there with him and was supposed to stay. He didn't. Um, and he should have. Um, but within a few weeks, the people start to get like, where's Moses? And it's kind of like if you left your kids, your teenage kids home for a couple weeks without you and you were supposed to come down, it ain't going to be good when you get back. Um, and they start to feel like they're abandoned. And they start to think that maybe God brought us out here so that we could die. Maybe that's what he did. So the people come to Aaron, who's supposed to be where? Up the mountain with Moses. Where is he? He's down with the people. So he comes down there and they said to Aaron, hey, do something. God's not here. And Aaron says, hey, take off your earrings. Now, the earrings were a sign of a slave. So that they had earrings in as a sign of slave. We've, we've kind of taken that and, and changed all kind of thing for our culture and back and forth when we shouldn't. But that, those sayings are because they were slaves if you had the earring. So he says, bring me all your earrings. So he, he gets all them. And what he does, he melts it all down. And Aaron makes a golden calf out of this. And... After he makes this golden calf, he presents it to the people. And listen how, how dumb and arrogant Aaron is. And Aaron is the one who God chooses for the priesthood to come after. Listen how dumb and arrogant he is. He says, behold, about the calf, behold the God who has delivered you from the Egyptians. And he goes ahead and he takes this calf that he fashioned with his hands that they made from what they had and made that their God not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who did those miraculous signs. All the supernatural things that God has done and just a couple weeks of people saying, God's not in line with me, and they go ahead and make their own gods. And, and you know, we could beat them up about that, but how many times do we take something that we make out of ourselves and make it our God and give attributes to God the Father about that? They have forgotten about his goodness and they start questioning, can God be trusted? Is God good or not? And they give that credit to the golden calf. Scripture tells us they began to eat and drink, and they got so hammered drunk, they got to engage in every kind of practice physically that you can imagine. I mean, it was, it was the Playboy Mansion before the Playboy Mansion. I mean, they didn't have a grotto, but they had a lot of other stuff, right? And Moses is actually up on the mountain and says, I hear the sound of war. And they say, uh-uh. God said, that ain't war. That's some crazy Israelite kids, let me tell you. You don't want to go down there. Um, and so... When God, they're speaking together, and, um, you know, if I got to tell you, if I'm God at that moment, I'm ready for, like, lightning bolts like crazy. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I'm ready. Because, uh, you know, if, if, I, if that happened and I went away and I said I'm going away for, for a couple days and I came home early and my kids are having, like, this, I'm, that, dad's not going to be happy. I'm going to let you know that. I'm not going to be happy at all. So uh, if, if I was God, death, destruction, and holy butt kicking is coming your way, just to let you know. So you all be glad I'm not God. Now listen to what happens here. That's not how God does it. So the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses. And look at Moses' response. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, the gracious God, the slow to anger, the abounding in love and faithfulness. Aren't you glad I'm not God when you read this? maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. 
And look at what Moses does. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. <coughs> Although this is a stiff-necked people. I don't usually love that term. They're just like, um, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Two points that we learn from this. Number one, God forgives. God forgives. Look at the attributes of the characters of God, characteristics or the attributes of God. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is slow to anger. God is abounding in love. God is faithful. God is steadfast, which means he's committed and he's maintaining for thousands of people. And ultimately, God is forgiving, which is the ultimate expression of God the Father, God the Son, the God the Holy Spirit, the Godhead. My question to you is, do you honestly believe this is what God is like? Because many of you have a completely different opinion of God. You have God who's just waiting to take care of you, to, to take you out. That God is not merciful. He's not gracious. He's aggravated. He's ticked off at you. He's, and, and much of that may have been portrayed to you by how you viewed your earthly father or how maybe it was even portrayed in the denomination or the church you grew up in of God is going to get you. But God is all those and so much more. And that should help us understand most clearly who God is now if I'm going to talk about forgiveness. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is simply this, releasing someone from their wrongs fully, freely, and forever. Releasing someone from their wrongs fully, freely, and forever. You're letting somebody out of their wrongdoing forever and fully. That feels impossible, doesn't it? I'm going to ask you right now, think of one name. I know this is going to be really easy. Of somebody... You ain't forgiven fully, freely, or forever. Matter of fact, you see them today, you're going to start being like, mm, they're going to do something else to me, right? We all have a name. But if God forgives, what does God forgive? He forgives all, all of these things. He forgives us. In verse 7, they give us three things, and we're going to go through those things. The first thing that he gives to us is wickedness or iniquity. And what is wickedness or iniquity? It is premeditated choice, and we refuse to um, repent about it. Look at what it says in Micah chapter 2. It says, woe to those who plan iniquity, those who plot evil on their beds. There are people just sitting in bed going, mm, I'm going to get that sucker tomorrow. I can't wait. I'm going to show up at work, and I'm going to act real nice, and then I'm going to nail them. Yeah, and we're going to get them. And, and at morning's light... They carry it out because it's in their power to do so. So what, what that tells us is that we have in our power to have this wickedness and this um, iniquity, this stuff that we connive together and say, yeah, I'm going to get them tomorrow. And we have the power to do that. And if we have the power to do that, guess what we also have the power to do? Forgive. We also have the power to forgive. So basically what wickedness and iniquity, it's basically me lying in bed and just mulling over, I'm going to get you, sucker. Is what I'm doing. And I'm premeditating this rebellion against God's good design. There are a couple biblical examples of this. One is a guy named Judah in the Old Testament when he had a, a younger brother named Joseph. And let's face it, Joseph was a mama's boy. He had a nice little coat. And he was a little bit mouthy little sucker. Hey, you guys are all going to bow down to me. And they're just sweating. And I'll be like, yeah, I'm going to bow down to you. And i knock you. And they got tired of him. They're working their tails off. And yeah, mom likes me best. I mean, he's a little jerk. Let's face it. Um, and so what ends up happening? 
He comes out there one day and they said, let's get him. Let's get him. That's the iniquity. And they go ahead and, and they take him and they strip that uh, goat off him and they, they uh, put a goat's blood on it and they throw him in a ditch and they sell him in slavery. Now, Jill has done a lot of bad things to me in my life, but I've never thought about selling her into slavery. I'm letting you know that. Um, but that's what they did. That's how disgusted they were with him. And this time, I could go through others, but for time, I'm not going to today. But this is a premeditated thing that occurs. If you want to look at another famous one, it's David. He's looking, sees Bathsheba. He should be off to war, but he's on his roof looking for women who are bathing. Finds somebody whose name is Bathsheba. He says, she looks good. Who is she? Says, that's your buddy Uriah who's out there fighting in war. That's his wife. He says, bring her to me. Once she gets pregnant by David, he says, bring him home. Tries to pass it off him. Uriah says, no. David sends her to the front line, so he's killed. That is iniquity and wickedness. All right? The good news, though, about iniquity and wickedness is this. God forgives, and you have not gone too far. The big lie of sin is that once we realize that we're waist deep in sin, we feel like we can't turn back, so let's just keep on going. But guess what? You have no secrets from God. He already knows and he already forgives. Number two, rebellion and transgression. This is disrespectful, arrogant sin. To choose willingly to disobey. And it's not so much premeditated as it's in a moment. I'm going to do what I want in the moment. I don't care. I'm going to be me. I'm going to do me. I don't care about you. I don't care about God. It's driven by what Sigmund Freud would say, our appetitive part of us, that id part of our life, if any psychologist. But here's the good news about those things. God forgives, and you haven't gone too far. And what's the third thing? Sin. Sin is an archery term that means to miss the mark. And so basically, all these other things, iniquities, wickedness, transgressions, rebellion, all that comes under the blanket or the umbrella of sin. The good news about sin is this, God forgives. You haven't sinned too much. And God is gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding and steadfast in love. And he desires to grant forgiveness for all of your sins, transgressions, and iniquities. And this is the offer that comes to fruition in Jesus Christ upon the cross. God hates sin. God despises sin because it's separated. That's hard for us to understand. And the best way I could understand it is if somebody really messed and tried to harm somebody that I really love, that anger, that hurt, that hatred. You know, like when you had kids, you realize that there was this whole level of like, of like nasty and hatred and wickedness toward people. Like if you even think somebody's looking at, at your kids. Like I remember when the girls were young, they, they were, we were at Walmart and they walked into the bath, bathroom and I stood out there and this man came out and he just, he, he moved quickly and I was like not happy. I said, excuse me, come here. And he was like, he took off. I was not happy and um, they had just walked in or else I might not be here today. I may have a prison ministry going on. You know what I mean? Because um, <coughs> that's what happens. That part of us, when we have a love for somebody we, we have, and we have a hatred for what's done against them and separate us, that's what happens. And since God loves us deeply, he hates wickedness and iniquity. He hates rebellion, transgression, and sin. <coughs> Number two, first thing is God forgives. The second thing is the people of God are the means by which forgiveness of God is made visible to believers and the world around us. 
this holy universal Catholic church, this communion of saints who do life together, becomes the stage that God forgives us and the world sees as forgiveness. In the New Testament, the people of God were more authentic when they confessed to each other and they formed a relationship and sought forgiveness with one another. They were told to confess their sins to one another and to forgive one another. That's why here at this church, we must never buy into the lie that we have it all together. All you have to do is look right up here and you'll see that your pastor doesn't have it all together. And I hope that you hear most weeks I share with you, I ain't got it all together, but Jesus does. And so we must be honest about our brokenness and about our struggles and about our doubts and about our imperfections and about our failures and our disappointments. And I want you to look at me and I want you to hear this, that the real church forgives one another because we have been forgiven by God. And there's an authenticity and a deep community that is birthed when God's forgiveness is made visible in the communion of saints. The only way we know that is we do life together. And if God forgives and the communion of saints, the church becomes the means by which forgiveness is made visible, how do we plug that in to our four things? We've been talking about symmetry, which is to have it balanced, like I, I gave the illustration week one, an upside-down pair with toothpicks in it. It's like the guy at the gym who never does leg day, right? And that's, that's out of order. That's out of symmetry. And so symmetry... Here's some symmetry to bring balance to your faith. Some of you need to believe that you can be forgiven. Some of you are haunted by something or by a season in your life, by a struggle that you're currently wrestling with. And to develop a biblical Christian symmetry, you must embrace and believe that you can and are forgiven in Jesus Christ. And we need to extend that forgiveness to one another. C.S. Lewis, we're going to talk a little bit about him on Sunday, I said, we all agree forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. Like, I like to be forgiven. You ever, you ever been in trouble with someone? Like your wife or your husband or somebody else? Your parents? Anybody ever been in trouble in your life? Am I the only one who lives this life? Um, but, you know, you want to be forgiven. You want to get to that point of forgiveness. But you love when you have something against somebody else and dig at them a little bit, right? You want to keep that on. The truth is, some wounds go so deep and some leave a scar that forgiveness seems really impossible. And it may take a while. And do not feel guilty about taking some time or shame about that. Do life with other people. And ultimately, God wants to set you free. Know that. Clarity. Clarity helps in symmetry because there is no transgression or sin more powerful um, than the forgiveness of God in Christ. There's nothing that you can do in your life, nothing absolutely you can do if you are fully repentant that God can't forgive you from. And forgiveness of others is a command that God has given to us. And so that's really clear. Receive forgiveness and give forgiveness. Actually, the scripture says, forgive the, one another as I have forgiven you. And that is the way to know that you are forgiven by me. If you hold unforgiveness against somebody else, don't expect it from me is what God says. Community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great uh, scholar and writer and during uh, the time of the, the 40s in Nazi Germany, called the confession of sins to one another. He said, in a r very real way, forgiveness is not just about absolving guilt, but it is also a reminder of what communion with God and with one another can be and, and should be. 
It's not that 500 miles deep that I have 1,000 or 2,000 uh, friends on Facebook and only a half inch deep because I have no depth with them. We want to get depth in our relationships. Bonhoeffer believed if you want to walk in the community of saints, confession and forgiveness is a practice that we must embrace when we're honest about where we struggle. And recognize there's some people that are really difficult to forgive, right? There's some people that just, are, you know, yeah, you're going to take advantage of it again. But when we pray for one another and we do life together, the community grows. James, the brother of Jesus, said this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. Healing comes through confession to one another and praying for one another. It's really kind of, if you, if you have somebody in your life you really can't stand or you're aggravated right now, I'm going to tell you something. Start to pray for them and see what God does with your heart. Last thing, counsel and advice. I want to be aware of my own sinfulness. And I want to counsel myself knowing that I have been, what I've been forgiven for. Because if I know what I've been forgiven for, and I remember how God has forgiven me, then it's much easier and I'm more ready to grant forgiveness to somebody else who's wronged me. The more I forget about what I'm forgiven by. And I'm going to tell you, Christians, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've forgotten what you've been forgiven from. We have. We got this Christian ease that we just like think we, we just were birthed into the church and like, whoa, yay. And we forget about that I'm a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and that I nailed him to the cross with my sins. And I should bust hell wide open. Satan should have a nice little hot spot for me there. And he does by my own will, but it's by the grace and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I have been forgiven and I've been bought and my name is in the Lamb's book of life. And because I don't have to face that, why would I want to put anybody else who was created in the image of God through a living hell in this life? So I don't want to be self-righteous and judgmental. And winding this section down, there's one, there's in Luke chapter 15, there's three parables. I'm not going to go through all of them, but the last one is, it really, I say this a lot, but this is really like my favorite in all of scripture. And you may know it as the lost son or the prodigal son. Youngest son tells his daddy, I want my inheritance now while you're alive. And his dad gives it to him. Now that's like him telling his dad, I wish you were dead and so I could have the money. And his dad literally could have had him thrown into jail, could have disowned him. And been done with him. That was respect, believe it or not, was something that was important in this day and time. His disrespect for his father was that, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my money. His dad gave it all to him. He went and he went away and he squandered it all on way um, on, on wild living. Wild living. Um, and scripture tells us that he, uh, he, he did this time and time again. Had lots of friends. You know, like when you got money. You notice how I've, 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 I love sports and I've noticed how, how like these athletes who, who had nothing always have a posse around them. And there are a bunch of people who just like hang on and then they bring other people to hang on. And anybody remember MC Hammer, Can't Touch Us? The guy with the baggy pants, like Can't Touch Us, it was everywhere. He's broke. He was can't touch in this forever. Problem was everybody else was touching his money and he was buying extravagant things. Where was everybody when he had no money? Bye. And so this boy does the same thing and, and then times get tough and he's in a far country and he's, he's hungry and nobody's around now and he, he's sitting there. It's a good Jewish boy sitting in a pig pen. That's not kosher. 
And so he's sitting there eating what pigs have, and he's saying, I could be a hired hand. He said, well, I could actually go back to my father and be treated better as a hired hand. And he starts to practice this thing. And listen to what it says. He has this epiphany in verses 17 through 20. Here's what he says. And when he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father and I will say to him, you ever, you ever have something when you're in trouble with somebody, you start to practice something? And he's like, okay, father, I have sinned against you and, and against heaven, against you, against heaven and against you. I've said, okay, all right, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Um, make me like one of your hired hands. Yeah, that's good. Make me like one of your hired hands. So, okay, we're good. Uh, that's what I'm going to do. And he sets off, and you can see he's got a journey, and he's going, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I mean, blah, 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 blah. He's got this down, and uh, he's going through this. And here's what I love about this. Here's his father. Should have written him off, considered him dead. But the father is doing what? Looking. Every day. All day, he's looking. I don't know what time he came home. He didn't have GPS. He didn't have Find My or Life 360 on there. He just had to look all day, every day. The love of the father is looking for a son. And he sees him far off. He sees him far off and it says the father got up and ran. Have you ever seen old people run? <laughs> it ain't pretty. It's not, right? I mean, like, I'm, I'm in a stage now. I ain't pretty when I run. It's like awful. Um, I, it's like labors. And so what ends up happening is here's this father. He's like, oh, he huffs out there. And, he, and, you know, the boy sees him. Oh, here he comes. He's coming to meet me. I hope he doesn't have an ax or something. He's like, father, I have sinned. And dad says, shut up. He just grabs him and hugs him. Just grabs him and hugs him. The father doesn't care about what he's got to say, doesn't care about what he's done, doesn't care about what he did to him. All he knows is my son is back. And the father says, I don't want you to be a slave. I'm not even hearing that because you're my son. And you're my daughter. And, and I want I'm going to put a ring on you. I'm going to put a robe on you because that shows your, your family and you're in the house. And, and the ring is my signet. And that shows you got my authority and my power. And so guess what? Now let's celebrate because you were dead and now you're back. I want to tell you today, whatever you've done, whatever you're doing, God is still standing there looking for you, waiting for you to come back. He's just saying, come on, come on, come on. I'm not going to make you a slave. I'm going to make you my child because that's who you are. That's who you are. And he loves to wipe away debts. He could care less about demanding the repayments or anything else. He goes against the grain and wants forgiveness and to celebrate. Forgiveness is here. You just have to come take it. And so what we see is we come as we are, just like that. He probably smelled like pigs. But the simple fact is we said together that I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And that's what today is about. So I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the offer of forgiveness that God has made in Jesus Christ. If you don't know what to do and your heart is stirring, all you have to do is just confess and receive. What does that mean? Regardless of where you are in life, forgiveness and newness is here. And the life in Jesus Christ is available. 
I so want you to become a Christian if you're not, to grab hold of this forgiveness and walk in and become new creations in Christ. If you've just kind of been that son or daughter and you've just been, you know, in another country, kind of like living, living in a different place out of the will of God, and then you find yourself in a pig pen, you can come home to your father's house. You don't have to be out in the servant's quarter. God just wants to say to you that my forgiveness comes in Jesus Christ, my son. His death and repent of your wrongs and your transgressions. Tell him I'm tired of the weight of this sin and iniquity and commit to a community. Literally commit to doing life with one another because the more we are socially interactive, the less we are really talking with each other and knowing each other. Don't waste another day. Don't let your hearts become hardened. Today is the day to trust in the Lord your God through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. So we're going to continue now with our service when I find out where I'm going. Um, and so we have um, our reading, our sixth reading. Excuse me, Becky. The next scripture is Mark 15, 16 to 32. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe those crucified with him also heaped insults onto him. At the foot of a cross where grace and suffering meet Show me your love through the judgment you received, and you won my heart. Yes, you've won my heart. Now I can trade these ashes and for beauty and wear forgiveness like a crown coming to kiss the 
at this time what we're going to do is something that we've done and um and it's our uh, our cross nailing and um we're going to have um we have our, our communion um cups here just so you know um uh this is the the top there's a film and you pull that off you have a little waiver and you hold that um so i'm what i'm going to do is because even though we're the we're the body of christ and we do things together we're going to do it together but i want you to do it a little bit differently today um is When we talk about communion, we come um, to the Lord and we recognize what we've been forgiven from. And um, and you know, if you're not a Christian, you can look at what you've been forgiven from is eternal death. Hell is real. 
and um, and it's the wage, the wages of what we sin. What sin gives us is eternal death. And so, um, it is through what we celebrate today on Good Friday. What Jesus did is he he became the sacrifice once and for all, so that you and I don't have to pay the penalty for our own doing. He 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 paid the price for us. And so what we do here is we also have um, the palms from Palm Sunday because. If you go back in, in history, in Palm Sunday, they were, they were like, here he comes. He's going to take over the victorious Jesus and waving palm branches. And by the end of the week, they were like, crucify him. But on that Seder meal toward the end, Jesus went ahead and he took the, the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat from this. All of you, this is my body, which is broken for you. For many for the forgiveness of sins. Just hold on a second. And then later he took the cup and he said, drink, eat, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood and the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Many people believe that since this was a Jewish Seder meal, that, and I've said this before, that the bread was called the Africa Mem, which means I have come. And it was broken and it was hidden and the youngest kid went to find it. And there's many of us who are trying to find why Jesus came. Why did he come? Because m- many scholars believe that the cup that they used in the Seder meal was the cup of redemption. And you know how he redeems us? You ever, you ever have a coupon that says redeem for? We don't use that a term, but like redeem for. So if you get like a buy one, get one free, yeah, you're going to get that one free, right? If you have something that's free and you can get it from, and you say, hey, this says I get this free, bam, and most of those coupons have a, have a, a due date on them, don't they? Jesus doesn't have a due date, but the due date is when he returns. Then it's too late. Don't hold on to the redemption. Jesus has come to redeem you, to forgive you, to pay the price for you so that you can be with him, as we're going to talk about on Sunday. Not only he rises from the dead, but I'm going to rise. And I, want, I, I, I don't want to just hold on to that for a day later. I want to give it now and say, Jesus, take that. So I'm going to let you take communion the way you want, however you want to, because I want you to ask Jesus, where am I with you in forgiveness? Where am I in using uh, and receiving your forgiveness, receiving the gift and realizing that you have forgiven me? And who are those people in my life that I also need to forgive and live at peace with? God, there's some people I can't, so I'm going to hand that over to you and you help me. You help me in there. And then we're going to do this as the body of Christ. But as we're doing that, those palm branches and the cross is here. So I'm going to, we have several, um, there'll be some people up here who will help you. The palm branches, we've always talked about, like, you know, they're a symbol of what, you know, we thought something was or how, you know, for many of us, life has been, was going really well and something happened. And it's not so good. Or maybe some of us, you know, we, we think we have the green of the palm on Sunday, but really it's dried up. And we need some new life into it. And so what do we do? We take that and we're nailing it to the cross. So it may be a person you need to nail to the cross. It may be you that you need to nail the cross. It may be something that you're struggling with, something that you're doing, and you need to nail that to the cross. And whether you want to take communion before so that you're, you're right or you want to say, i got to do this first, I'm leaving that up to you because this is about you communing with God that the presence of Christ meets you somewhere. And we just sang at the foot of the cross where I'm made complete. So if you're here and you're not complete and you need to get something right with Jesus, do it today at the foot of the cross or at the head of the cross or somewhere on the cross. 
and just recognize what Jesus did. All right? So the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And um, we're going to let, uh, you know, our worship, some of our worship team are going to come down now and do this as a couple of us are going to sing. Um, and I want you to just, um, there's going to be a vid- video playing. And, and if you want to sing, you can, but the words aren't there. Um, it's, um, we just want, I just want you to experience Jesus. Experience who he is. So I'm going to ask that you stand and that you can take communion or also come and also come to the cross and begin to nail um, your palm branches. How wide is your love that you would stretch your arms? And go around the world And why for me Would a Savior's cry be heard I don't know Why you went Where I was meant to go I don't know why you love me so those were my nails that was my crown that pierced your hands and your brow those were my thorns those were my scorns those were my tears that fell down and just as you said it would be you did it all for me and after you counted the cost you took my shame my blame on my cross how deep is your grace that you could see my need and choose to take my place and then for me these words I'd hear you say Father no forgive them for they know not what they do I will go because I love them so Those were my nails That was my crown That pierced your hands And your brow Those were my scorns Those were my scorns Those were my tears That fell down And just as you said it would be you did it all for me and after you counted the cost you took my shame my blame on my cross those were my nails that was my crown that pierced your hand and your brow. Those were my thorns, those were my scorns, 
those were my tears that fell down and just as you said it would be you did it all for me and after you counted the cost you took my shame my blame on my cross and just as you said it would be you did it all for me and after you counted the cost you took my shame my blame on my cross and after you counted the cost you took my shame my blame on my cross
just as you said it would be You did it all for me After you counted the cost You took my shame, my blame On my scripture is Mark 15, 33 to 39. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last breath. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. We're going to sing, Were You There? There's a brief video clip. And then we're going to ask after this, everybody leave. It'll be dark. Um, you'll be able to see. But we also ask that you just leave in silence in honor of what Christ did.